Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 326. Thanks for tuning in. This is Tim Maluli here with you this week. Just me on this episode, but I wanted to take some time this week to run through, uh, I think, three or four different articles that I came across that I think are timely and uh, appropriate for everyone listening in the audience. So with that, Let's dive right into the first article that we have for the week. The first article that we have this week uh, was a piece from ThinkAdvisor, and I'll link to this in the show notes. The headline read, Seven Stats on How People Really Save for Retirement. And they had just gotten some recent survey numbers for this year. This is a, a yearly survey that goes out, and it shows just how much or how little Uh, some people are actually saving for retirement. The first stat that they had here was that most retirees start saving for retirement after the age of 40 or not at all. Of the surveyors, the percentages worked out to only 30% of people started saving for retirement before the age of 40. 39%, so almost 40%, started saving after the age of 40 and 31% didn't save at all for retirement, which is which is very eye-opening. So that's a third of the people that they surveyed. And I think there was in between two and 3,000 uh, retirees that they surveyed for this particular survey. You know, you, you put those numbers together, that's about 70% of people either started saving after the age of 40 or not at all. Again, people not saving at all for retirement is obviously not a good thing. Um, and and we talk about and you hear a lot in personal finance about how you want, you know, start saving earlier. The earlier, the better. That's how you get the maximum benefits of compound interest. Uh, you start putting money away for retirement in your 20s and 30s if you can, and that money really works for you over the long term. By the time you get to retirement, it's been growing and compounding in the market for a handful of decades. There, you're really going to see more of a result than people who start saving later in life. Even if you start putting money away, more money away later, the people who put away less money earlier tend to see better results just from the power of compound interest. I will say it, it kind of does make sense in a, in a way. For, it's not ideal, but in a way, you know, people who start saving after the age of 40, one, it's better than not saving at all, definitely. Uh, and two, it, it kind of makes sense in a way because you think about what life stage most people are at when they get to age 40 and when, you know, as they go into their 40s, where they're at in life. Before age 40, you know, you're getting out of school, you're starting to starting your career, you're working on either paying down debt if you have any or just getting a solid foundation underneath you financially. Uh, you're working on getting your first house or apartment, buying cars, maybe starting a family, getting married. There are a lot of things, raising kids, all of these big ticket items that happen typically are, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and it takes a while for people to 
get their feet underneath them after those big ticket items pass. So right around age 40, you feel like that's when people might you know, start to get closer to their peak earning years. They're earning a lot more money. Their kids might be a little bit older. They have things under control in terms of their family. Their family might be as big as it's going to get at age 40. It wasn't too shocking to see that that was the biggest percentage of when people started saving for retirement. But, you know, if you're comparing not at all after age 40 or before age 40, the people who start saving before age 40 I think, in my, in my opinion, have the upper hand in that situation. The second statistic that they referenced in this article was that nearly two-thirds of the people that were surveyed uh, participated in workplace retirement plans, and it was about 63%, so just a little less than two-thirds of the people that they talked to said that they participated in a workplace retirement plan, 47% of that 63%, so of the people that did participate in a workplace retirement plan, 47% of them participated in a 401k plan, and 36% of them participated in some sort of pension plan. What that says to me is that those numbers are kind of going in in the opposite direction. It it feels 47% of people participating in a 401k Uh, that number has been rising over the last handful of years, and the number of people participating in pensions seems to be falling. We might see that number in terms of the previous statistic for people before age 40. We might see that number start to go up. Uh, One thing that we talked about in last week's episode of the podcast was auto-enrollment for 401k plans, and that I feel like that plays into the percentage of people the growing percentage of people that are participating in 401ks, a lot of people, if you have one of those 401k plans at work, there is an auto-enrollment feature now. So you have to opt out as opposed to opting in. And that ultimately lends itself to more people saving probably earlier for retirement and just getting getting a head start there and, and starting earlier. The third statistic that they referenced in this article was how six in 10 So 60% of people that they surveyed saved for retirement outside of work, so they didn't use a a workplace retirement plan. This number, I thought, I was was expecting this number to actually be a a little bit lower. It's a good number. Obviously, it it would be great if 10 out of 10 people, uh, you know, 100% saved outside of work. But the fact that over, I think over 50% of people say that they're saving money outside of work, you know, whether or not they actually are, Um, They responded to this survey saying that they were, I think, is a good thing because we talk a lot here about how for some people just participating in a workplace retirement plan may not necessarily check the full box in terms of how much you should be putting away for retirement each year. There are limits for how much you can put into these plans and just putting the maximum away, depending on how much money you're bringing in, that might work out to be a smaller savings rate if you're bringing in a lot of money. Obviously, if you're putting $19,000, the max into a 401k and you're bringing in $50,000, that's a much, much higher percentage, your salary that you're saving every year. But if you're bringing in over $100,000, you know, $200,000 a year, just putting $19,000 away doesn't necessarily check off that box. So having savings outside of work, whether it's a, in a retirement plan like an IRA or just in a you know, traditional savings account uh, or another type of 
you know, just taxable brokerage account, the more the more the better. When it comes to saving for retirement, people ask, you know, they try and pinpoint a number for how much they need to save for retirement. The the most general answer that we can give you is is kind of just saying more. The number is more. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have more money put away for retirement. And if you can afford it, if you can swing it on a monthly basis, outside of these workplace retirement plans, you have those contributions going in. Or if you don't have one of these plans, saving on your own outside of work has to be you know, the, the next step for you to take to get ready for retirement. This next statistic, the fourth one, is not great. <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, only one in 10 people, so 10% of people that they surveyed had a written strategy before retiring. 46% of, of people said that they, in quotes, had no retirement strategy. Obviously, having no retirement strategy at all is not a good strategy. We would recommend having some sort some sort of game plan, whether it's either at the bare minimum, just some loose details on how much you plan to spend each month or on a yearly basis, just something is better than nothing at all. But for those 90% of people who said that they didn't have a written strategy beforehand, before retiring, I would definitely recommend writing this stuff down, putting pen to paper, typing it out and printing it out, having something to look at tangible in your hand makes it more real. Uh, it makes it more you know, solid and, and you are more accountable, uh, you're more responsible for things when you write things down. It's easy to forget the specifics or the details of something. If you don't write it down, you think you got it down in your head, and then you go to think back and reference, what, what was that plan? How much was I supposed to spend each month in retirement? What, was the, what did we agree upon? If you write all of these things down, you know, everything that you agree upon, the strategy that you're going to use in terms of you know, retirement income and investment allocations through and through retirement, where the money's going to come from, what retirement accounts you're going to tap first and where, different tax strategies, all the different details. There's a lot that can go into your retirement strategy. So just having it written down, it's the last step. Just solidify it, put it on paper. Um, that doesn't mean that it can't be changed. Just because you, you wrote it down doesn't mean it's etched in stone. Uh, you can always go back and amend things afterwards, but having a written strategy definitely makes it easier to hold yourself accountable and to stay on track with these different strategies. The fifth stat that they talked about in the article was how three in 10 people, so again, 30% of the people that they surveyed used an advisor before retiring. Naturally, we're advisors here at Maluli Asset Management. You know, when we do financial planning for people and retirement planning, there's a great value for a lot of the clients that come in here. They get peace of mind. You know, you write everything out. You can see it clear as day. You know what's going to happen. There's clarity, as much clarity as there can be uh, as you're heading into retirement. So naturally, we think that everyone should work with an advisor. I think people would definitely be better off. But having said that, you know, there there are some people that are capable of doing it on their own. If that's you, more power to you. I don't think it it couldn't hurt to work with an advisor. You find the right advisor for you that can help you plan out your retirement strategies, especially before retiring. I think that that's a that's a critical point here to focus in on. Uh, 30% of these people said that they used an advisor before retiring. 
the difference here between before retirement and after retirement is once once you're retired, I mean that the options of what you can do with your money is less than what it would have been if you had started working with an advisor. Maybe the advisor has some different thoughts or some different strategies, different ways that you can best utilize your money going into retirement. It also gives you more of a, of a runway to, uh, if you're lacking in certain areas, it gives you time to get ready for retirement so that you're being proactive about these things and not necessarily reacting to them afterwards in retirement when you're done working, you don't have more income coming in, you're kind of handcuffed to, you know, this is the amount of money I have, this is what this is what I'm working with, there's no other money coming in, so we have a limited number of options here or for what we can do. You may want to think about working with an advisor before you retire, just so you can plan these things out ahead of time. The sixth stat that they talked about here in the article said that two-thirds of the surveyed people in this article said that their employer, in quotes, did nothing to help them transition to retirement. I don't necessarily know where I fall on on this stat. Um, my first reaction when I read that stat was, is it the employer's job to help them retire or to help them transition into retirement? I don't really know how much of the burden should fall on the employer in that situation. We're all adults here, and if you're getting ready for retirement, I mean, you have years of, of experience working with your own finances and you know that that's your own personal situation i don't know how in depth the employer should should get into that transition period at the same time i do think it would be beneficial in a sense if there were were some guidelines from employers like for people that have retired in the past this is kind of how they've done it or this is this is what's worked for people in the past and this is how we think transitioning out of work would best best work for you. If you agree, here's how you can, you know, start to phase out and work yourself into retirement. But overall, I'm not entirely sure how much responsibility should fall on the shoulders of the employer there. I feel like that's retirement there is more of a personal situation for the employee, for the individual to figure out on their own. Going back to the last point, that might be why working with an advisor would benefit you. You have someone there by your side. It might not be your employer who is responsible for helping you transition into retirement, but you can work with an advisor who can serve as that guide as you wind down over the last handful of years while you're working. The final stat, the seventh and final stat that they talked about here in this article was how three quarters, so 75%, wished that they saved more consistently, and 66% of the people wished that they had been more knowledgeable about investing and their finances and retirement in general. You hear from people in the later stages of their life the different regrets that they had or things that they wished that they had done differently. Uh, here in this situation, people had wished that they had saved more consistently. And I think that kind of ties back to the very first point about people starting to save after 40. You get to that point when you're in your mid 40s and you haven't started saving for retirement and you think, oh no, this is a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to have more time. So you have to you know, start throwing big chunks of money uh, here and there to try and make up for it. And it's not a consistent 
you know, every couple weeks for when you start your job in your 20s to a nice even straight line uh, savings wise, you know, incremental increases every year as you're earning more money, just a more consistent savings pattern and a more consistent savings rate would lend itself to people just being more comfortable and being more prepared and also mentally prepared and mentally at ease knowing hey I'm I'm retiring this is a big deal but also you know I've been saving for this every couple weeks with every paycheck since I was a kid since I was in my 20s so I know that while this is going to be a big change in my lifestyle or in my in my day-to-day life uh, I know that I'm ready for it so 75% of people there wished that they had saved more consistently as a reader you know take that to heart and if you're putting off saving for retirement when you have the means to maybe reconsider because you don't want to get to that point in your life and you know, end up like one of these people that they surveyed wishing that they had done things more consistently. The next article that I wanted to talk about came from American Banker, and it was about how uh, banks are being criticized for requiring balloon payments on loans in forbearance. There were people at the beginning of the pandemic who were looking for relief, um, some COVID-19 relief in terms of their mortgage payments, you know, whether they were laid off or furloughed or weren't working or, or less hours, you know, they were having trouble making ends meet. They were able to enter into a forbearance program with their mortgage company, with the bank who lent them the money for their mortgage. Now these banks, some of the banks are saying that, well, when the forbearance period ends, you have to pay a balloon payment, essentially a lump sum of of those payments that you skipped. So whether it was four, five, six months, seven months of payments, you have to pay that all at once when the forbearance period ends. Not exactly super helpful, I think, for a lot of people. Had they known that ahead of time, they might not have entered into this forbearance program. I think a lot of people were under the impression that the forbearance, the months that were skipped, they they just get tacked on to the end. So you have those six months that you skipped, instead of having to pay it off all at once when the forbearance ends, you just it just gets tacked on to the end of the loan in monthly payments. Uh, I think that's how a lot of people thought it was going to go down. But there wasn't really clear language in uh, any of the legislation or in the CARES Act or any any of these relief programs on how banks were going to address you know the repayment of these forbearance periods that were skipped by lenders. So it's not great that some of these banks are choosing the lump sum balloon payment route. Uh, I understand the criticism from people. It's not really helpful in a, in a sense for for some people if they're still struggling financially. Uh, maybe they can afford to start picking up the monthly payments again, but to have to pay six months of mortgage payments all at once, it's not exactly doable for a lot of people right now. This also just ties into, it's it's another example of and I use air quotes here of rules changing after the fact. And I used air quotes on the rules changing because there really weren't clear cut rules on how some of these relief programs were going to function 
after the fact. They Things needed to be done. Things needed to be addressed so quickly that these programs were just slapped together and gotten out, which was what was needed at the time. So I'm not criticizing them for that, but it, it did leave the door open for some interpretation for how things were going to pan out. Um, we saw kind of a similar thing with the PPP loans for small businesses. Businesses applied for the money, they got the loans, and then after the loans were dished out, the government came back and said, well, you know, there are some stipulations to it, what you can and can't use the money for. Actually, you're, we're going to change, you know, the, the guidelines and the rules. These businesses don't technically qualify, even though you got the loan. And Things just got kind of messy, and, and the same thing here is happening with the forbearance program. A lot of people have been utilizing the CARES Act to take retirement plan distributions. One thing that I'll say is that you know you need to self-certify the fact that this distribution is because you were negatively or adversely impacted by the virus. So that means either you had the virus, your spouse or your kids, your immediate family were impacted by the virus, your hours were cut at work, you were laid off, you were furloughed. You need to have to, you have to show that you were negatively impacted by this virus. We don't know how strict the IRS or how strict the government is going to be when the time comes next year to prove uh, that you were actually impacted. We, we really don't know what the rules are going to be. So I would just caution people to, before you take those distributions, Really make sure that if for some reason the government comes back and they're more strict than we were anticipating on those rules, make sure that you are crystal clear on how you were impacted by the virus and how you can how you can prove that and why it was justified for you to take that money out of your retirement plan. So that's all that I had for episode 326 of the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. Thanks for listening along with me this week and we'll see you next week.